This episode is brought to you ad-free. Thanks to all of our wonderful patrons. You get tons of exclusive content. Help us keep the show going by joining patreon.com slash shonenflop. And welcome to Shonen Flop, Chibi. First impressions mini episode where we talk about the first chapter of the series we'll be covering in depth next week with our guest, Kermit the Grog. Great name. <laughs> I'm still remembering that one guest that did the plot summary in a Kermit the Frog voice. Reborn Pyro. Pyro. Yeah. yeah, Reborn Pyro. That was the Bokasan episode. Yes, it was. Yeah. Like this. Wait, that was Ray Romero. Does Ray Romero sound like Kermit? Yeah. No. Yeah. No, he doesn't. Yeah, he does. Maybe he does. He does. Okay, there we go. Yeah. All right. So my rare, it's, my voice serves many a purpose. Same with Jordan Peterson. I should say same with Jordan Forbes. No. I'm not sure if Kermit the Frog sounds exactly like Ray Romano, but they have like the similar and I think that the yeah. it, I think the Ray Romano impression typically sounds like Kermit the Frog. Yeah. If you were about to say I've never seen them in the same room. You know what? Now that you mention it, I haven't. There's some conspiracy Ray Romano is actually Kermit the Frog. Yeah, then somebody will just post a time that Ray Romano was on Sesame Street for some goddamn reason. <laughs> Kermit the Frog is not on Sesame Street. Never mind. I mean, I'm sure he has appeared. Yeah. I mean, Sesame Street and Muppets are very closely related. It would make more sense for Ray Romano to appear on some kind of Muppets thing. I don't fucking know. This, we're not talking about the fucking Muppets this time, David. We're not. No, we're not. Oh, anyway, I'm Jordan. With me today, as usual, is my lovely co-host, David. Say hi, David. Hi, David. It's just like at that point, I just had to say, use the the Ray Romano, Ray the Frog voice. No relation to what we're covering today, and what is that, David? We're talking about Fabricant 100, which may be one of the most requested series we've ever had, which is impressive because it only got canceled two weeks ago. Yeah. I feel like it was kind of obvious this one was going to get canceled eventually. I don't know. Yeah. So you want to tell the audience a little bit about this series? All right, so this was written by Daisuke Inoshima, and it ran from December 5th, 2022 to September 4th, 2023 for 36 chapters and, you know, three or four volumes. I remember that this one came out at the same time as Ichigaki's Under Control, the Family's Secret, I don't remember the total name, and Cypher yeah. Academy, and... People were talking about how it's like, oh my God, Shota Jump just published four flops at once. Yep. And then this is like the only one that actually we will probably be covering on the show. Well, no, we covered Ichigaki. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, that one doesn't count. That one was so obviously shitty from the get go. That was canceled before it started. Yeah, no. <laughs> this one, I, this oh, one I could see having a little bit more legs. But yeah, so Jordan, though, why don't you tell us about the plot summary a little bit, my friend? In the old-timey days, you know what I mean by old-timey days, a guy and his GF are hanging out eating food on a train when she uses her fantastic eyesight to see just some dude running towards the train, just, like, running alongside it, you know what I mean? Fast guy. Just when he comments on how fucking wild that shit is, she is plucked out the window. Apparently, she was found a few days later, dead, with her eyes gouged out. Ooh. 
A few days later, a young boy is just trying to eat a burger when the large woman he's with, who seems to be some kind of governess, is being super overprotective about it. He's like, nah, let me eat my damn burger. When a nosy lady next to him is like, hey, it's kind of dangerous to be on this train. Didn't you hear about the murder? But the boy goes all Detective Conan on her ass and says he's gonna catch that bad guy. This makes her somehow realize that he's from the Yao family family famous for Yao Ming which doesn't make sense because <laughs> yes, that's his first name I mean Japanese people sometimes don't understand that like you know that Whitebeard in One Piece aka Edward Newgate you know Edward is his last name well you know Yao Ming's Chinese yeah but that means Newgate is his <laughs> someone named their child Newgate. <laughs> someone named their child Monkey David Monkey's his last name is it I always thought his first name was yeah, Monkey. Monkey D. Luffy, Monkey D. Garp, Monkey D. Dragon. No, it's Monkey is Luffy's last name. It's just Japanese, they say it first. But since they say Edward Newgate in that pattern, Edward is also Whitebeard's last name. You see why I was confused, though? No, I totally get you, but that just makes it really weird that Oda thought Newgate was a reasonable first name for someone. <laughs> Newgate Edward. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's really literally good. Whitebeard's name. Really fucking good. But yeah, he's from the Yao family who had super genes that made them live past 110 years old and look young and hot the whole time. He was the youngest member. His name's Ashibi. Ashibi notices the victim's boyfriend who has been coming to the train every day since his GF died, I guess, to remember her. Talk to the BF who doesn't even want to catch the killer. Because it won't bring his GF back, and, like, who gives a shit about future victims? He doesn't know them. It doesn't affect him. Fuck them. Ashibi then... Okay, Boomer. Yeah, seriously. This is, like, pre-Boomer. This is, like, silent generation, or pre-that, even. (laughs) Ashibi then tells the BF his tragic past about how his family was murdered by a bunch of Frankensteins called Fabricants. They are artificial humans made by a mad scientist, and they are imperfect, so they see out better body parts to replace their own shitty ones with. But BF is like, ha that's silly. But when Ashibi mentions they have stitches on their arm, he's like, oh shit, the killer had stitches on his arm. Popcorn David. <laughs> Ashibi then takes them to the caboose, where he then cuts his arm with this sick hot topic finger armor in order to draw the fabricant to his superior blood. I had one of those when I was 14 years old. Thankfully, the Frankenstein was still just hanging out on top of the train. So he shows up and the BF notices that he's got his GF's eyes. But then Ashibi's large caretaker lady attacks him, revealing that she's got stitches too. He explains that when his family died, he went over to a group of fabricants and said, hey, he's 14, so he's still too young to harvest body parts from. But in four years, he'll be fully grown and ripe for the picking because these fabricant monsters respect the legal age of adulthood. No, David, they're doing the fucking 18-year-old countdown shit with him. That's gross. Yeah, I'm sure they have a website They literally are. That's what the... Ah! So as he explains, though, he makes a deal saying if one of the fabricants can help him kill all the other fabricants, he will give his body to them. Immediately, all the fabricants are killed by the last one, who is the giant lady that we've been with. Turns out, she is Fabricant 100. Title drop! Title drop! Bam, bam, bam! And since the scientist was constantly improving, since she's the last fabricant, she is the strongest of them all. She easily kills the fabricant on the train and rips out his eyes, which they, they give to the boyfriend, because I guess that seemed very cute and sincere to someone who is mentally unwell. <laughs> it was really weird. He was like, hey, sorry your girlfriend died, but here are her eyes. Here are her eyeballs with, like, the nerves still attached. Yeah, and he just, like, hugs them. It's like, Ugh. ooh. 
So he, cr- he cradles those eyes like a complete fucking psychopath and spews bullshit about how he's glad people won't have to suffer through what he did, even though he said earlier he didn't give a shit. Anyway, Ashibi and a hunter continue their journey, having defeated Fabricant 17 and on their way to kill 82 more. Yeah, let's get into the first impression. Though, I mean, actually, I think it's like she killed like 12 of them in the house. So I think there's only like 80 or so Fabricant she still has to kill. Huh. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I. Oh wait, no, no, you're, you're completely right. Sorry, no, they. I, I did they like literally... really stupid math. I did eighty-two plus seventeen. Well, I only say that because she literally says only eighty-two more to go in the manga. I just fucked up the math in my head because I was like, oh well, seventeen. She just killed seventeen now, so she's got. But no, he was number seventeen. So I. Just, yeah. I guess it just coincidentally adds up to ninety-nine. How did they know? Like, like, are they counting seventeen, or are they just like he is number seventeen? Like she's number a hundred. He has that book where he tracks everything, so maybe he has a list of what the different fabricants are, so he recognized it was number 17. Side note, I really like how his drawing is crude because he's 14. It's not like, <laughs> oh, he's a great artist. I mean, he's not terrible for a 14-year-old, but like, it's pretty clear that it's like he's he's a 14, you know? I appreciated that. Yeah. <laughs> To get into first impressions, this feels like a series someone didn't write just to kind of make a series to make it big and Shonen Jump. This is a series like the author really wanted to make. Yeah, I feel like one of the issues we have with a lot of Shonen flop subjects is, you know, sometimes it's like, wow, this doesn't have a lot of legs or this is boring. Yeah. Or it's too nice. Like stars where everyone was super nice and it was really boring. No conflict. I respect that there is conflict here. I really like the twist where in the beginning, you know, 100 is super overprotective and you think, oh, she cares so much about him. And then by the end, you realize, oh, no, she's overprotective because she's going to harvest his fucking body and she wants to make sure that it's okay when she harvests it. That shot of him being like, I still know about our deal. And she just has a smile like she's like, yeah, I'm going to fucking kill you in four years. Yeah, it's like a sinister look she gives him. That was cool, man. I respect that. I think like, ah, yeah, all right. There's actual conflict here. There is something interesting with their relationship. It's not just, oh, she's like a sweet little caretaker who cares about him. Yeah, I honestly think this manga will be a 10 out of 10 if she still wants to kill him at the end of the series, because I'm going to honestly be disappointed if she like has a change of heart. Yeah. You know, it's like S. Cryed, where the two guys are like, we'll put our differences aside for now. And then literally the last episode is them having like a super serious fight trying to kill each other because they still meant it that they wanted to kill each other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which was ridiculous that the last episode of the series was just a 30 minute fight scene. Man, S. Cryed was fun. I wonder how well that aged. It was super overdramatic at the time. It's probably still really mm-hmm. fun. But, I mean, there are issues with this, David. There are absolutely some serious issues with this chapter in my mind. Yeah, like you said, you already noticed that there was a plot inconsistency with the main focal character, or the main character they're trying to help. First of all, he's a complete psycho. Like, yeah, it doesn't feel like the series wants you to think that. It just feels like the author's like, no, he's cradling uh, the eyes of his beloved. Yeah, everyone would do that. It gives the impression where it's like, nah, her personality was whatever, but those eyes, David's eyes. (laughs) Those eyes, damn those eyes, get me every time. Also, they showed like a picture of the girlfriend's eyes right next to the fabricant's eyes with her eyes. And when you do that, you got to make the eyes look the same. And the author did not do that. (laughs) Oh, did he not? He did not. They did not look the same. (laughs) The boyfriend was like, oh, they look the same. But like the art was not showing that. (laughs) But also, I mean, there are issues with the art. Very few backgrounds. 
What do you think of the art style? Because I actually list it as a positive where it feels unique, but not off-putting. There are things that I like about the art. I think that the character design is pretty decent. I really like 100's design. I think it's really cool. Have you seen the one-shot? No. So she literally looks like Lady D from Resident Evil 7 or Resident <laughs> Evil 8. I wouldn't be surprised if Shonen Jump's attorney's like, you have to redesign this character for the real series. Like she literally is a giant tall woman with a giant black brimmed hat. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. They had to change it. Wasn't it a white brim yeah. hat though? Wasn't she wearing like all white? Uh, it might be. But the, the point is she very blatantly looked like Lady D from Resident Evil 8. Oh, that, that's funny. But no, I mean, aside from the fact that there are very few backgrounds, they do a lot of that gray gradient thing. I have a lot of issues with the actual storytelling. Mm -hmm. For one thing, the thing that really stood out to me was they encounter the boyfriend and then he's just like, ah, oh, I'll, I'll cut my skin kind of and there's blood and oh man, cool. The fabricant is still on the fucking train for some reason. Why is he there? Yeah. And then he just shows up like he's just like no tension no build up no anything like well they were like if he's within 500 meters or something but we're like dude this is a moving train it's a moving train yeah it would have made more sense if it was like at a store or something where he like attacked and it was like a fixed point but a train yeah you're right doesn't really make sense for this plot yeah again i think that like the relationship and intrigue between the two main characters really saves a lot of this manga like that is genuinely yeah. interesting that does genuinely make make you curious about where this is going that is one concern is i can see this insanely easily becoming monster of the week and that is a concern is nothing really establishes what the long-term plot of the series is I feel like this you know? is a series set up to become Monster of the Week. I feel like that's the whole yeah, point. Yeah, which I guess isn't necessarily a bad thing, but I, I don't know. I just never really liked the Monster of the Week format. It's rare that it turns out well. Yeah. I will also say one less positive. I think the paneling in this was also very good, even if that's a narrative storytelling. But I think it at least had like a good flow of the action. There was some interesting dynamics in the paneling and layout. So at least it's a good, I guess, foundation for the storytelling. So hopefully it can improve utilizing that. Also, I have issues about the world building so far, <laughs> you know. So, David, would you read another 10 chapters of this? Uh, yeah, I actually was a little disappointed we had to push our recording back because I absolutely want to dive into this series after I read that first chapter. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I did read a couple chapters before it was on our show. What made you stop reading it? Because I don't read manga. <laughs> that's true. That's, <laughs> that's fair. just how I work. I mean, I, Witch Watch is fantastic. I stopped reading that for no reason. Dude, I can't believe we got Shen to start reading. So for listeners, I mentioned Witch Watch to Shen, our last or our guest two episodes ago, and he still sends us on Discord being like, dude, I'm on like chapter 32. This manga is actually really good. It is. He makes me want to go back and finish it. I really do. He hasn't even gone to real Witch Watch head knows what chapter's coming up soon. That's in the 40s. So <laughs> I really can't wait for his reaction to that chapter. Thankfully, David is no longer spoiling Witch Watch on the podcast. Yes. But people know exactly which chapter I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. And then Jordan, though, I guess it's kind of hard for you to make guesses. No, it's not because I only read like one or two chapters and this is like a 30. Oh, okay. I thought you went like you read like the first like two volumes or something. No. So then Jordan, why don't you start? What were your guesses? One of the fabricants is the scientist. Mm -hmm. The fabricants were an attempt to mimic the superiority of the Yao clan's flesh specifically and 100 is based on a family member of the scientist like you know like where it's like oh, i tried to recreate my daughter or something like that 
I like that. I had some similar ones. My first one is one of the main characters' family members was behind the massacre. Mm-hmm. So maybe he has like a still living member and like he traded himself for like where the rest of the family members were and that's why they found and massacred them. Gotcha. I think there will be a Fabricant 101 because they said it's a power dynamic so it's kind of hard knowing that she on paper is stronger than any other Fabricant. So you really need to introduce a Fabricant that technically should be stronger than her. Did they even say there are only 100 Fabricants? I think they did. Because he said, I think he said he died after he made Fabricant 100. Okay. And then Jordan, I'd be curious your thought. I think she will bail on her promise to kill him. As much as that disappoints me. What do you think? I think that makes sense. I wish it didn't. But like, you know. I don't know if she will intentionally bail on it, but I don't think that she's going to kill him at the end of this. Yeah. Whether she is forced to not or something like that. Like, yeah. I don't see him dying. All right. And then Jordan, what's your power word? Fab. Ooh, just like you. How about you? Mine is sophisticated. I'm actually surprised it was printed in Jump. I feel like if it was a sending magazine, they really could have done kind of the body horror that I bet this artist wishes he could have done. Honestly, I'm not sure the artist has the skill to do that, but it would be cool to give him the opportunity. Oh, the nanohazard guy would have done a great job. Yeah, the nanohazard guy who was better at drawing body horror than non-body horror. <laughs> than just yeah. people. Yeah. Oh, that's the breaks. But now, Jordan, I think that's all we have to say about Fabricant 100. Let's get into our Q&A. As a reminder, you can submit your questions on the Shonen Flop Discord. Find a link to it in our show notes or on our site, shonenflop.com. And we give priority to those who haven't asked a question before, haven't had a question answered in a while, or patrons. So starting off from us on, we have, what is the most uplifting or happiest manga anime you've experienced? So, first of all, I'd be surprised if David doesn't say Gurren Lagann. Well, I had a different answer, actually. Yeah, okay. I think, I mean, do you want me to say what I think is the absolute most cinnamon roll manga I've ever read? Go ahead. It's gotta be Yotsuba. <laughs> do you know what that manga's about? That's the 4chan yeah, girl. Yeah, it's like, you know, yeah, it's literally about a guy, a single father raising his, like, six-year-old daughter and her having, like, adventures. Like, there's an arc where she's just super excited to see a cow and go to a farmer or goes to a balloon festival, and there's no trauma because it's about a six-year-old protagonist just living her best life in Japan. Aww. Yeah, it's an absolute cinnamon roll of a series. I feel like mine might be Mob Psycho, because... Oh, that's great. Because at the end of that, I was just like, yeah, man. Yeah, I could, I could be all right. I could do this. It really, like, filled me with, like, kind of confidence at the end of that. Like, yeah, this will work out. Mm-hmm. I also think High School Family is a good one, too. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we approach this differently because yours is like, what's just like the sweetest, kindest one? And I'm just like, which one makes me feel like I could like accomplish my dreams? (laughs) That's fair. I'm already doing that by making this podcast with you, big guy. Oh, yeah. Next up from Agpa. Have you ever considered doing an episode on a flopped anime? I feel like we talked about that early on, but it's also like if something gets an anime, then by definition, like most anime that's made are made from a relatively successful manga. There are exceptions. Like Gerd Lagan. Yeah, except obviously that was very successful. But like, I'm thinking like Mars Bringer of War or something. Is Is that what that's called? You know which one I'm talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't watch anime. Oh, I'll show it to you. Oh, yeah. Fuck anime. So... I think it's also a time concern. Like, reading 30 chapters of manga is way easier than watching 12 episodes of a show. That's very true. That's a huge thing. It could be a fun crossover episode with the Anime Out Context guy, so maybe at some point at a Patreon we could do that. Yeah. Also, there's anime like Mars, the one I just mentioned, that went for one episode. Yeah. 
Uh, there's definitely some shitty. But yeah, I think it's a fun topic. Definitely it's something been on our mind. So I think it's just a mixture of factors of why we haven't done it yet. Yeah. Next up from Dude Rocks. Aside from Silver Fang Jin, the manga about dogs where they get brutally murdered, <laughs> what jump manga would make for the worst live action adaption? Also, they can't already have had one, so you can't say One Piece. Though, ooh, this question didn't age well because One Piece actually had a pretty good live action adaption. I mean, in the realm of live action adaptations, it's probably the best. That's like saying Mortal Kombat was the best video game movie, you know? I guess. Did you not like One Piece live action? I think it's a 7 out of 10. No, I did too. I did too. I haven't seen the whole thing, but what I saw, I was genuinely surprised. I mean, I made that whole rant about how it was going to be terrible, and I kind of regret it, because I watched like a bit of it, and I was like, oh, hey, this is actually a lot better than I thought it was going to be. See, I meant that in the sense that live-action anime adaptations are usually absolute fucking trash. Yeah. It's probably the best one, but that's not saying much. But it is pretty good. Yeah, but that wasn't the question. The question was, what series do you think would be the hardest to live action adaption? So my thought is it has to have a factor of the fact that it needs to be a very famous series, a very complicated series that requires a lot of either physical models or requires a lot of CGI and has a plot that really isn't going to work in a short form. And my thought, Jordan, is actually I feel Hunter Hunter would be extremely difficult because you're also having a lot of violence towards children and you have to deal with how the fuck do you handle Hisoka? Yeah... So that's why I think Hunter x Hunter would be an absolute nightmare to make a live action version for. That's very fair. Let's see. I'm looking through Shonen Jump because, like, honestly, my immediate response to this was, like, of course, Elven lead. <laughs> but that's not a Shonen oh, Jump manga. Or I thought you were going to say Berserk. Oh, God. Oh, you're right. Don't say Jump manga. Yeah, they would fucking pull that. Oh, man. Hold on one sec. One sec. One sec. I think I just saw one that spoke to me. I hope it's not you, Hakusho, because they already announced the live action. Oh, what? I mean, that wasn't my answer, but the fuck? Well, we know, first of all, we know that Dragon Ball was a bad decision. <laughs> we know that for a fact. Yeah. Could you imagine a live action JoJo? <laughs> there is a live action JoJo. There is a JoJo part four movie. What? What about, okay, okay, okay. What about One Punch Man would probably be pretty fucking difficult. All right, there you go. There we guess, I guess. <sighs> Sorry, Jordan. I'm not happy with that answer, but I don't fucking know. Okay, Fire Punch. There we go. Fire Punch. I don't know. There you go. Fire Punch. Yeah, that that's a really good choice. Yeah. From Staghorn, you can go back in time and give a one-sentence command or a bit of advice to the creator of a flop in order to save it from being a flop. Who do you choose and what do you say? So, Jordan, what would you say? Hunter's Guild Red Hood, don't listen to your fucking editor. Just ignore them. Just, they're wrong. <laughs> okay? Stay in your goddamn ground. There's no exam arcs. All right, from Meru. How many chapters would Pumps, <laughs> would Homestuck last if it was a Shonen Jump manga? I think it would have failed in Shonen Jump because it loses a lot of the things that make it unique online. And I, only Tagashi can put literal pages of text in Shonen Jump and get away with it. Yeah, wasn't Shen telling us that there was, like, a physical release of Homestuck? Yeah, there's a physical release of Homestuck, which sounds like an awful idea. What a stupid fucking idea. No, I mean, could you imagine us covering Homestuck on, on this podcast? We'd be like, what the fuck is this art? Really? You're going with this art style? Oh my god, so much text. Holy shit, so much goddamn text, okay? This is so hard to read. Like, it works online for a while, at least. Yeah, and I have to say, problem sleuth, absolute based. Absolute. 
People should read that. If Homestuck is too much for you, Problem Sleuth was awesome. Problem Sleuth better than Homestuck. This is the official Shonen flop stance. Yeah. And finally, from David, what's your favorite work you've covered by a successful offer, i.e. stuff like BT, Barrage, Dekoapa? I thought that would be a fun question. Yeah, no, I mean, I might have to go Level E. Really liked Level E. Especially, like, that one bit that, like, even you really loved, where they were, like, put in, like, the other world, kind of. Yeah, the Power Rangers thing. Yeah, that was fucking great. I'd say Heartbolt Cop and Dolphin. Oh, that was really good. Yeah, for for context listeners who are unaware, it was the creator of Beelzebub, which had, like, I think, like a 50-episode anime. Yeah, Beelzebub was definitely very popular. Mm-hmm. Those are some great questions, and unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today, so I want to say, Jordan, thank you so much for all of your hard work on the show. Thank you, David, for your hard work on the show. I also want to give props to Shannon for the awesome cover art. Find her online at Illuminati. Thanks to Dylan for his assistance with editing. Find his podcast, Anime on Context, at AnimeOnContext.com. Thanks to Tucker Maxi B for assistance with pronunciation, translation, other miscellaneous research. Find us on Twitter at ShonenFlopCast and our website, ShonenFlop.com. You can also find us on Tumblr. Jordan's been Tumblring it up. He's been doing an awesome job oh, with that. Oh, yeah. Tumblr.com slash Shonen-Flop. Nice. And we're also on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on YouTube, drop a comment. It's always fun to interact with the community. And speaking of community, come join the Show and Flop Discord. Talk with us. Talk about anime games wherever else on your mind. And that's where you drop your questions. Yeah. And if you've enjoyed the podcast and want to help us keep going, consider subscribing to our Patreon. We couldn't do the show without their wonderful support. Jordan, what are we dropping for our wonderful patrons in September? Well, David, this month we're going to be covering How to Make Manga the Shonen Jump Way, I believe that's the title, with Luke from Domance Dawn, which me and David have both been guests on. (laughs) Which is a what if One Piece was recast with Simpsons game. David's episode is better because I actually don't know that much about The Simpsons. I've I've obviously (laughs) seen a solid amount of it because how could you avoid The Simpsons? But like David knows way more characters in The Simpsons. I simply do not. So we're very excited for that, and I also want to give a shout-out to some of our patrons. First of all, we start with our Dolphin Dad patrons. We have happy birthday to you, woo, happy birthday to you, woo, happy birthday, Sean. Sean's birthday, I think, is next week. And piss, nothing about piss everywhere. Piss over there, piss over here, what the fuck? Moving on down to the Ravioli tier, where you get a weekly photo of my little goblin dog, Ravioli. She's an absolute puppuccino. We have Chris, Eva, Josh Robinson, Karate Chopsticks, Rachel, my wonderful fiancé. We're hanging out in Seattle right now. She made a big sacrifice by doing a hotel that didn't have a bathtub, so I appreciate that. <laughs> and Trevor Schechner. Moving on down to the King of the Forest here, we have 090Z, Bandit Stoof. Hey, my girlfriend. Shaw Florine, Gabe Lando, Jacob Andrew Galloway, Kirby Munt, Marty, Max Baker, Not Jeff, T, T Wolfwood, and you thought it was King Salamander, but it was I, Jory. And then moving on down to the Galactic Ball Federation officers, we have a mid-sized sedan, Indies Islands, Blah Moo Moo, Brian Sexton, David Ackerson, Dennis James Moan, Drago, True, Dylan, Nigel, Jaderic Man, Green, Hans, Heavy Metal Hermit Crab, Keanu, Kylie Denton, Lincoln Frey, Manly P. Hall, Marabara, my dad, Matt, Mike, Ralph, Resident Warhammer Nerd, Rosenda Mendoza, Ryan Jasinski, who I'll be seeing in two days, Sarah Hydra, Scott Fischler, Silly Rookie, Simping for Senpai Ash, Staghorn, Taperclip, Tucker, Wright, and ZZ Digital, and also thank you so much to our Beast Children patrons as well. Yes, thank you very much. And then Jordan, anything you want to add into that? Yeah, unfortunately. Steph and I, we lost one of our cats. His name was Sora. He was extremely sweet. He loved shoes. He was goofy. He was loud, kind of obnoxious, but we loved him so much. And, you know, it's really tough. We're still in mourning over it. It's really tough losing a pet that, especially one like, I relatively recently got to know him, but Steph raised him from a kitten, and it is like losing a family member. It really is. It's really sad. And, you know, Sora will always love you. And he was named Sora because he had big feet. Oh, my. 
Yes, just like a big, chonky tabby. No. Well, it is very unfortunate. And also, thank you so much for listening. Tune in next week for our full episode on Fabricate 100 with Kermit the Grog. This has been Jordan. This has been David. And you've been listening to Shona Flop. David, say it! Keep on flopping, floppers. Bye.